the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Locations in new portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. almost three chapters, Paul has been saying the same thing. Jew, Gentile, hypocrite, religious person, all are slaves of sin. It doesn't just say that we're all sinners. We're under sin. We're under sin. Every person born into this world is under the power of sin. He's not free. You hear people say, I want to do my own thing. They're not free to do their own thing. They're just, they're, they just can make choices what kind of sin they're going to do. That's all. They're not free. Sin doesn't just affect our lives. It dominates our lives. That's Paul's point. We're under sin. We're dominated. It's our master. When Adam surrendered to sin, he became a slave to it. The children of slaves are never born free. They are born into slavery. And that is just as true in the spiritual realm as it is in the social realm. No matter how religious we are, how good we think we are, we all sin. We sin because we are born sinners. Until Christ sets us free to live as we were created to live, we can never escape this body of death, as Paul called it. In Jesus' memorable conversation with the Jewish leaders in John chapter 8, Jesus said that if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside since 1981. Now his expository, or verse-by-verse messages, are available through this radio station, as well as the website that I'll tell you about after the class. Our class today is the middle part of a three-part message from Romans chapter 3. It's part of a series of lessons from the first three chapters of that wonderful book. Years ago, I worked with a fellow who had an unusual tape measure. He'd broken it off, so he cut it off at the one-inch line and reattached the hook at the end there at the one-inch line. He went on using it, making the mental adjustment that it was off by one inch. But when people would borrow Mark's tape measure, the things they cut were always one inch too short. They didn't know until it was too late that they were using a faulty standard. Of course, almost no one borrowed it a second time. It's pretty inconvenient when we cut something too short, but it's the ultimate disaster when we learn too late that we have used the wrong standard and come up short of God's requirement for eternal life. Let's turn now to Romans chapter 3, verse 9. Here is Pastor Steve to begin our lesson. Let's look at the beginning of verse 9. What then? He's kind of looking back over all he said to the Jews, and he says, Actually, to the Gentiles and Jews, he says, what then? Are we better than they? 
In other words, in spite of our privileges as a nation, and Paul is identifying himself with the Jewish people now, are we really any better than the heathen Gentiles and the Jew thought they, that they were? The Jews thought that. Paul says, no. No, not at all. Not at all. He says, that's my whole point. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Paul says, do you still think that you're any better? No way. We've already charged that Jews and Gentiles are in the same predicament. They are all under sin. Now he says the Jew has many privileges, chiefly that the oracles of God have been committed to him. But don't think sin-wise he's any better. Just because he knows the truth more than the Gentiles doesn't mean that he's obeyed that truth. For almost three chapters, Paul has been saying the same thing. Jew, Gentile, hypocrite, religious person, all are slaves of sin. And that's exactly what he's summing up. That's exactly his accusation. We're all under sin. Now I want you to notice the end of verse 9. It doesn't just say that we're all sinners. We're under sin. We're under sin. Every person born into this world is under the power of sin. He's not free. You hear people say, I want to do my own thing. They're not free to do their own thing. They're just, they're, they just can make choices what kind of sin they're going to do. That's all. They're not free. Sin doesn't just affect our lives. It dominates our lives. That's Paul's point. We're under sin. We're dominated. It's our master. Romans 6.14, for sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law but under grace when you become a child of God. Sin is not the master over you. At least it shouldn't be. Grace masters you, and grace leads to godliness. But the unsaved, the person born into this world apart from Christ, which is all of us, are under sin. The charge and the accusation is that we are a race of people under the power and under the control of sin. But you see, some object to this. And they say, don't put me on the same level as a heathen, as a pagan. While my parents... Were, were very religious, and they were involved in the church, and my grandfather and grandmother taught me the Bible on their knee, and don't put me in the same rank as a pagan. Donald Barnhouse, in his excellent commentary on Romans, says this, a trip to the so-called heathen lands gives a very proper adjustment to the perspective of our outlook upon the unbelieving world around us. The traveler is shocked at much that he sees accustomed to standards of Western civilization, he cannot help being startled the first time he sees half a roast dog hanging in a marketplace or a blood sacrifice offered to appease evil spirits or the dead body of a human being lying beside a road with no passerby giving it a thought. The shock is primarily to our sense of custom until we realize that the only difference between what we see in the so-called heathen world and in Christendom is that between sin in rags and sin in silk. He says there's an apparent difference in our sight, but none in God's sight. Just a matter of sin in rags or sin in silks, but it's sin, and God sees it as sin. Well, specifically, how does God see it? How does he view it? Paul has made this incredible accusation. What would have really, really gotten the Jew infuriated. But he's made this incredible charge, this incredible accusation. We're all under sin, but can he prove it? Can he prove it? So... From their perspective, so he's given his reason, his logic. Quite frankly, they didn't care about Paul's reason or logic, even though he was speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. I don't think they all recognized that if they weren't believers. But what would they recognize? What would speak to them? 
What would be something that they could not refute? The Word of God, the Old Testament Scriptures. And so that's what Paul appeals to. He's going to tell, he's going to tell all of us how God sees us. And for the Jew, it was no question. If God spoke, that was it. Now, I hope you're ready for this, because sometimes we like to think that, that God, uh, before we know Christ, sees us as very wonderful people. You know, he knows my heart, which is so good. Just the opposite true. God knows your heart, but he knows how rotten it is. So we move from Paul's accusation to Paul's appeal. Paul quotes from the Psalms, from Proverbs, and from Isaiah to show that what he's described in chapters 1 and 2, God's already said in his word. This isn't anything new. Now, you can easily divide what God says about man's sinfulness into three categories. First, he deals with man's sinful conduct, or character, rather. His character, then his conduct, and finally, the cause of his unrighteousness. What, what is the cause of his sinful behavior from a very practical standpoint? Let's look at man's sinful character. The emphasis in these verses is that there are no exceptions. He says continually in these next few verses, there's none, not even one, there's none, there's none, all, together they've all become useless, there's none who does good, no, not even one. The emphasis is on no exceptions, no exceptions. He starts off, verse 10, as it is written. That's Paul's way of saying, thus says the scriptures. There's none righteous, not even one. Let's stop here for a moment. Let's just examine this and examine the others as we go through it. Isn't this an incredible statement? Doesn't that strike you as a little bit strange? God says that he has looked across the centuries of human history and he can't even find one righteous person. Now you might be sitting there thinking, oh, he hasn't seen me. I think that's why he adds, no, not even one. Not even you. You see, he hasn't overlooked you. He says there's not even one person. Those nice friends and neighbors and relatives of yours, they're not righteous. They may treat you well, but they're not righteous. Righteousness is conformity to God's holy standards. You see, conformity to human standards doesn't make a person righteous, and that is the problem. As people uh, want to know and, and people try to see if they're sinners, you speak to someone about being a sinner and they say, not me. Why? The problem is this. The reason we tend to think we're okay, remember that book a few years ago, I'm okay, you're okay, Just that's not true. We're not okay. It's because we measure ourselves by the wrong standards. We look at other people and conclude that we're just as good as them, if not better. But that's not the standard by which God measures us. The standard is the holiness of Jesus Christ. There's the old story of a woman who washed very fine linen and thought that it was just white as could be until she placed it on a freshly fallen snow and it, it looked yellowish in color. You see, so there are people who are white like linen but only Christ is white as snow. See? You may think that you're white and pure until you're measured against Jesus Christ, and then you're yellowish in color. There's none righteous. Not one. Man is rotten to the core. You see, it's not a matter of, am I good or bad? We're bad in our behavior. We're, we're rotten in our behavior. It's just a matter of how rotten we are. 
We don't behave as rotten as we, we don't always behave as rotten as we really are. Our heart, the Bible says, is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, some behave more rotten than others, but the, but the point that God is saying is that at the root of every one, we've got the same sinful nature and heart. Some people just manifest that sin more than others. But there's still, as God sees, and remember, this is as God looks into the heart and says there's none righteous, no, not one. We're all just as wicked as, the per, as everyone. We're capable of doing any sin though you may not have outwardly committed that sin. Jesus said, out of the heart comes all these filthy things. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a great verse. What is the glory of God? God's standard is perfection, is holiness, is righteousness. And you may be closer than it, to that than others, but you fall short of it. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. I'd say you, you read in the newspaper there was a contest to jump from the Atlantic Ocean, from, you know, on the America's side, all the way over to Europe. And thousands of people lined up there, and they were going to see who can jump to Europe. Now, your neighbor may go and jump and, and get, have a great jump, maybe 10 feet. You may jump maybe 20 feet. Some of them may fall right in the sand, you know, not jump at all. But nobody's going to make it across to Europe. Nobody meets the standard. You may in your outward behavior jump a little bit further than others and, and look closer to the standard, but no one's going to cut the standard. This Tuesday night in Minneapolis, the annual baseball all-star game will be played, and they're getting the teams ready now. They, they're picked, and, and uh, they have the best players, usually the best players, you know, if you think about baseball, as I have, it's amazing that nobody, that people bat the way they do. You know, we think of a great baseball player as batting 300. Nobody bats 1,000. Nobody has ever batted 1,000. Some bat 300. Some might even bat 350. Most bat around 260, 250. Nobody bats 1,000. Not even the best. There's none righteous, not one person. So you may be more righteous outwardly in your behavior. Inside, as God looks at the heart, he says, no one is righteous. But not only that, he goes on to speak more. There's none who understands. Not only are we sinners by nature and choice, but we're ignorant sinners. None who understands God. None who has spiritual understanding. Because the Bible says that the natural man understands not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. That's why you speak to somebody, you try to speak to somebody about, about the Lord. I'm not, I'm not talking about just witnessing now, but even a, even a biblical concept. They have, they have no understanding, no concept of what you're even talking about. You see these religious leaders get on television and talk with the media, and the media just really, quite frankly, has some of the dumbest questions. They don't know a foggiest idea of what's going on. Natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul says that the natural man is being darkened in his understanding. There, there's a darkness there. He cannot comprehend. There's none who understands. Now, men think they understand spiritual reality, but they don't. They write as if they do. They're arrogant as if they understand it. They speak as if they do, but they don't. They write books about it, 
They fill magazine articles about it. Secular bookstores are, have whole sections or religious sections, but nobody understands God who rejects the revelation of God and doesn't know Christ as his Savior. Man's very thinking process has been so deeply affected by his sin, he doesn't even think straight about God, and he can't think straight about God. There's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. Now, isn't that, doesn't that strike you? Man doesn't even uh, want to know God. It's not that he's just unrighteous and that he's just, you know, ignorant. He doesn't want his ignorance cleared up. You say, how could that possibly be? Look around you, Steve. You see people going to uh, churches and synagogues, and they have pilgrimages and places of worship they go to. They have temples, and aren't they seeking God? No, they're not. They're not seeking God. Man, according to Romans 1, is running from God. He's running from God. The reason he's going all over the place rather than to the Word of God is because he is in the process of inventing his own God's to escape the, the fact that there's the one true glorious God who he's rejected. You see, man doesn't want the standards of God, so he runs from God, but yet he has a tremendous need in his heart for religious experience, religious desires. But he's not seeking God. He's seeking to fulfill the God-given religious desires, but in an illegitimate way. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10.20 says, those who worship idols really are worshiping demons. I'm not saying they're aware of it, but that's who they're, they're worshiping, demons behind the idols, making them believe that idolatry is real. And, you know, this applies to the Christian, too. You know, often Christians, I hear people say, you know, I found Christ, and I, I, I found it, or I found him, and, you know, he's not lost. He's never lost. Uh, that really isn't true, though we understand what a person says, and I don't correct, you know, everyone who says that to me, I don't want you to think, get nitpicky, but... In the very sovereignty of God, we understand that no one is seeking after God. If you have come to Christ as your Savior, it's not because you were seeking him initially. You were running from him. Why do you think Jesus said the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost? Because man was running from him. Remember the first man who sinned, Adam? God said, where are you, Adam? God knew where he was. He just wanted Adam to be aware that he was running from him. And man's been running Ever since. In John 6.44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Draws him. If you came to Christ, yes, you did seek God, but only because God initially began seeking you. Jeremiah 29.13 says, And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart. But the only people seeking him are those he seeks and draws to himself. No man seeks after God. No man really wants to know God in his heart. I remember when I was 18 years old, and I really never thought about the Lord Jesus Christ seriously. And when I was 18 years old and a freshman at college, I thought I was going crazy. I thought I was going insane because I began to think about, about the Lord. I see now what was happening was that God was drawing me to himself. Drawing me to himself. Paul goes on to say, all have turned aside. Together they have become useless. Verse 12. Men have deliberately turned their backs on the truth and have chosen to do their own thing. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And where has this detour led? 
What path are men going down? The Bible says they become useless. Because they've gone their own way, they've become useless. The Hebrew equivalent to this word, this was written in the Greek, but the Hebrew equivalent means sour milk. You ever have a big glass of sour milk? It's putrid. It's useless. It's unprofitable. It's like, it's like overripe fruit or sour milk. It's just useless. You throw it away. It's what God says man has become. And he may do charitable things towards one another, towards his fellow man, but he's useless as far as Christ is concerned because he doesn't live for his glory. That's why Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. There is no spiritual value in anything we do apart from him. We become useless. And while hell is punishment for for sin, hell is also God putting uh, putting people there who are absolutely useless to him. He goes on to say, there is none who does good. There is not even one. It's like saying there's none righteous. No, not one. You say, wait a minute, but I know people who do good things and, and I do good things. That's not what God is talking about, good things towards one another. He's talking about doing good things for him. Righteous deeds, deeds that honor him, bringing him glory. He's not saying that we don't have compassion upon our fellow man. He's just saying, as far as he is concerned, what we do is not good for him. Now, that's what God has to say about man's character. And you know what? Because he's so rotten in character, he's going to be rotten in his conduct, right? Right? If you have a rotten nature, rotten things are going to come out of it. And that's why verses 13 and 14 refer to the speech of man. You know, there's no better way to evaluate a person than by his speech. Why? Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. Whatever's in the heart is going to come out. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, really says that. Exactly put as Jesus spoke, he said this. He said, you brood of vipers, speaking to the Pharisees, how can you being evil speak what is good? That's a, that's a good question. If you're evil, how can you speak good things? For the, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man, out of his good treasure, brings forth what is good, and the evil man, out of his evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. What comes out of our mouths? You know, when we go to a doctor, he looks into our our mouths in order to diagnose our physical condition. And when we go to the great physician, the Lord Jesus, he looks into our mouths in order to diagnose our spiritual condition. And what does he find when we open our mouths? Let's look at verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. One of the first things a doctor says when you get to his office is, open your mouth. That's when you gag. You know, you don't want to have just eaten lunch when he says that, but open your mouth. And uh, he puts that stick in there and he looks. When the great physician says, open your mouth, you know what he sees? Death. He sees death. He sees an open grave. I have never been to an open grave The closest I came to it was watching the news when the remains of Joseph Mengele were unearthed. Just watching it was sickening. They brought that brown stuff on. I can just imagine what it smelled like. Putrid. God looks into our mouths, into our throats. He sees putridness, death. And what comes out of a putrid heart are putrid words. Stench comes out of an open grave because there's death there. Filthy words, vulgar language, unclean words, dirty stories come out of our 
mouths because they emanate from our hearts. Someone has said that this is emitting the noisome exhalations of a putrid heart. It's no wonder that we usually refer to God's grace as His amazing grace. Given the Apostle Paul's description of mankind, it is just astonishing that he would pay the ultimate price to redeem us. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been serving as the teaching pastor for more than 26 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These broadcasts are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries, a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. If you would like to hear today's class again, stop by our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can listen online or download the broadcast for later. That's versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to order a CD or a cassette with the entire message from which today's lesson came, call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. I hope you can join us for the conclusion of this message on the next. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.